This is the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast, helping millennials execute their vision. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Blind Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Jonathan Grzbowski, and today we are on episode 51. 51. <laughs> so today I have with me Gisha Hess. She's 31 years of age and is the founder of Trailblazer Ventures, which is a startup lab with a mission to increase female-founded ventures. Trailblazer's first product is a type of social network called Dreamers and Doers, which helps entrepreneurial and influential women find each other. Geisha, how is your day so far? Really, really good. <laughs> um, interesting day because um, we had an article come out today on Dreamers and Doers, CNN Money, that said um, what would happen if Mark Zuckerberg and Charles Sandberg had a baby. <laughs> so it's been a little crazy day. And congratulations on it, and we're going to link the article for everybody to read it once the once this episode airs. It's a, a great piece, and it's even cooler to kind of just hear the background and story of who you are as a person. But until before we get into all that fun stuff, I like to start off all of our conversations with a icebreaker. So the icebreaker is: imagine that you just had the worst day of your life. Your head is in the sand. You're down in the dumps. You know, you're trying to make the day better. Uh, being a world traveler and from Africa and, and you know, I'm sure venturing off into other different countries and cities, what is that one piece of food that's going to lift your spirits higher and make your day better? It's going to be dessert. All right. Very specifically, um, some kind of molten chocolate dessert that was heated up and it's like liquid inside and vanilla ice cream on top of that. That will definitely make any day better. <laughs> Not bad. So are we talking dark ice cream, uh, excuse me, dark chocolate, light chocolate, and what type of ice cream flavor? Uh, dark, probably um, dark, but not completely dark, so it's still a bit sweet, not bitter, and vanilla ice cream. Nice. I like your style. So the first real question is tell us about yourself. Who are you, and what is your story? My story is a lot of my background has really influenced me. You mentioned I was... I'm from Africa, so I was actually born in Africa, the kingdom of Swaziland. I lived there for three years and then moved around a bunch. So moved from Africa to Germany, Malaysia, Singapore, Germany, Beijing, Hong Kong, where I went to college, and then New York. I moved around a lot because my dad did development aid for the German government. And my dad is German, though, of a German passport, and my mom is Chinese, mm. um, which is always confusing because most people don't see that I'm half Asian. That's very interesting. So... You know, let's let's just dive right into it. Where, how did you come up with uh, Trailblazer Ventures? Where did it all begin? Yes, um, it started out of a personal need. So my background initially was finance. I was um, an investor for five years at a hedge fund. Then switched over to the startup world. Worked for a few venture-backed companies, and then started working in my own company. And if you're a man or a woman, it's really really hard starting something of your own for the first time. Like so much is at risk. Friends and family judge you, you judge yourself, and you need all the resources and support you can get, but usually you're lacking that. So very organically joined forces with other entrepreneurial women, just because sometimes it's harder to find other women like that, as well as some of the issues you face can be different from men. And it started out with co-working brunches. So we'd meet up on weekends, and we'd um, work together and help each other on our projects, and it just grew and grew and grew. We added an online component, it grew to several hundred, then several thousand women. And then decided, not decided, like I could not not work on this full time because I saw what a big impact it had. Um, so that's kind of how Dreamers and Doers started. Um, but because we wanted to have an overarching impact, we have grown it into a startup studio lab, which is now Trailblazer Ventures. And it's based on two theses. 
One, that women are a highly underleveraged opportunity, and this comes from the market opportunity perspective, um, because most highly successful founders these days still happen to be men, and we solve our own problems. So that's an opportunity, not necessarily a disadvantage, I think. And the second is that community should be part of your strategy, especially for any consumer-facing product. So similar to how Facebook leveraged Harvard as an initial target audience and now owns the world, we're doing this with one of the most valuable audiences, which are entrepreneurial, trailblazing women. And that's kind of similar to how the women in Dreamers and Doers are each other's secret weapon, Dreamers and Doers is kind of our secret weapon. And the last thing to add to that, in some ways we are the product that Facebook used to be, that closed community. And instead of growing it into a venture-fundable company, which we could try, we see the value of it existing in its current state, which is really, really curated, really, really high touch. And um, kind of, um, but we don't want to stop there because we want to have a further reaching impact. And that's how, why we're launching products around it as well. Mm. And it's a fantastic mission. Um, and being a male, uh, it, it's a little bit difficult to kind of resonate with it, but I can totally see the need in what you're building. And and, uh, and so congratulations thus far. But what I want to know in particular is, you know, you're, you're still young. You know, you're, you're young in age and you have already experienced a lot, especially in your world travels. Was there a particular moment in time where you're like, this is it. I need to go out and do this. And yes. it needs to be my life's mission to help, um, you know, raise awareness about uh, influential women in, throughout the world. Yes. So I do have to add to that, like, um, in terms of, I have a lot of friends who went through um, Y Combinator, and um, so it's this incubator that, um, yeah, you, you probably have heard of it, and um, and some of them have sold companies for a billion dollars for multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, and I always keep hearing the story that they would not have stuck with it if they didn't have each other. So in that case, like, it just happened to be all men, and they probably didn't even notice that it was all men. Like, I don't sometimes forget that it's female focused. It's just people and they happen to be women. Um, so I think if you're a man or a woman, it's really, really important to just have people check in on each other. I'm sorry, because of the article, I'm getting all these texts. I need to like shut this. You're a popular off. woman, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Sorry, I think we should do the trick. I apologize. Okay. Um, so I think um, even though, like, yeah, it, 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 it applies to no matter who you are. Mm. Um, then, in terms of the, the pivotal moment, <clears throat> When I was at the hedge fund, I liked what I was doing, but I didn't love what I was doing. And I was interviewing for a few other jobs in a similar field, but didn't end up following through with it because I just didn't know what it was that really got me excited. And <laughs> um, the moment I realized what it was, and it being like the startup world as a whole, was um, there was this company called Grouper, and they sent people on, in essence, group dating site, where they send, set up two groups of friends, three guys and three women, on, on this like, blind date. Um, and I did one of those, <laughs> and I ended up being matched with um, like three people. Like one person was a co-founder, one person um, like was a second employee at Dropbox. Someone else sold a few companies too. We spent the whole evening talking about startups, right? So that was my first real exposure. And from that day onwards, um, I've been. It was just over three years ago. I've been obsessed with everything related to startups. Mm -hmm. I love that that creating something out of nothing, taking a risk for something you really, really care about. It not just being about the money, which sometimes is the case in finance. It's not better or worse, but not exactly who I am. And it just makes me feel really, really alive. And people talk a lot about passion these days, I find. But all that passion means is you really, really care about what you do. And some people, they can just do a nine-to-five and do the right thing. Like, or, and sometimes it's an easier life, right? But 
like if I don't enjoy doing what I'm doing, like I get miserable really easily. Um, but if I enjoy it, um, if it's aligned with my values, I go nuts. I like will work all the time. That's great. And I'm curious, like where did that, um, you know, were you just, was that something innate inside of you? Or do you feel as if that like, you know, your parents, your father working for the, for the government, um, do you think that your, your parents kind of uh, put that into your, into your mind, your body and your soul? Or is that something that you just came up with yourself? Um, first of all, you're asking really, really good questions <laughs> to your you. question. I think because I lived in so many different countries and I've seen so much diversity and very little, like just so much possibility, where when I see something that doesn't work, like I don't just accept it. So it's really hard for me to accept it, um, as well as to just fit in because I, even if I wanted to, I could have never always fit in because the world is just very different. So that definitely has really impacted me. Mm. So... Growing up, I mean, how, how long have you been in the United States for, if you don't mind me asking? Absolutely not. Eight years, okay. and um, all of those eight years um, have been in New York. Okay. So having eight years of your life, and I'd say the core foundations of your education and your, you growing up at, as, as, a, uh, as a woman, you know, how is it, what are the benefits of, of uh, you know, I guess coming over to the United States and having this freedom and startup in the startup world? versus uh, you know living in a different country and going through all the different economics and all the other things in, in elsewhere. Yeah, so there are two parts to that. One is living in the States and one is specifically living in New York. So in the States, I find people are very, I mean, it's, it's hard to compare because there's so many different countries in this world, um, but they're very open-minded and it's very focused on like progress. Um, I've lived in countries where sometimes it's a bit of a German thing. If someone's really successful, you nearly don't want people to stand out or it's, it's yeah, although it's in, on, on the flip side, it's a very like reliable country. So every country does, is not necessarily better or worse, but what I love about America is this focus on progress, this openness and just appreciation for diversity. Then New York specifically, like it's crazy how much can happen just because of the density that exists in New York City. Um, like anything that you might read up, any new trend that you might read up on anywhere in the world, like you probably find it in New York somewhere. And um, even if you as a person change, there's something that you can find. Um, although then specifically being in startups, comparing New York to San Francisco, in some ways people say New York, because um, there are not as many founders, not as many funders, um, can be a disadvantage. But I also would say we aren't a traditional startup, so it works very well for us. So speaking of the startup, You've been going at this venture for, you said, what, five years now? Um, a little, about three years. Three years, okay. What have been some of the early struggles in creating this new product? Yeah. I mean, because you're creating from something from nothing, you literally do not know what will work. And it, it's kind of funny, it's like saying, if you look at the um, Maslow hierarchy of needs, it's in complete inverse of what it means to be a founder. So um, in addition to that, you have by definition, whatever you want to build is going to be much, much bigger than what you have right now. So you have this huge disconnect of this huge vision versus what you have right now. Um, and if your vision isn't much bigger than what you have right now, that's a problem too, right? But um, so you think this will work, but you don't know with certainty, right? And as being a founder, there's definitely a degree of naivete that has to go in with it. Otherwise, you wouldn't even like do this kind of lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. But in some days, so some days you're like overly optimistic. It's just part of being a founder. Um, and some days the world comes crashing down when you when everything else catches up. And generally, 
um, you have to put in quite a lot of work and make quite a lot of sacrifices to stand the chance of making this work, right? And so that doesn't help with you having a healthy mindset and being like just very positive about it. And you're constantly selling the vision to yourself and other people. And sometimes certain things just don't work. And that's just part of the journey for, to figuring out what does work. Was there anything in particular that just you thought was going to work and then you started doing it and it just didn't work at all? Yes. Um, and it was trying a more traditional startup route, which is ironic because by definition, startups should equal innovation. But I feel like there's a certain way that they're done. Um, or we believe that it's done. And then some of it is related to what is visible to the outside. So when you're in tech, everyone talks about getting a CTO um, or you are a CTO, building out your own platform, technology, then fundraising. That's all you hear about. Um, so we just did that. So built out our own technology platform. We flew to San Francisco because um, we actually got an interview with Y Combinator. They flew us out um, and did that stuff only to figure out that it didn't work for us. It was probably one year where I felt pretty miserable, but I had to go through that. I would have never known, like done something off the beaten path if I hadn't realized that this wasn't for me or for the vision I had. So we kept having to fit what we were building into this explanation of how this would be a billion dollar company in a very short time, but um, that's in contradiction to kind of the high touch approach that we have right now. Um, so in some ways, and also as monetizing early, early in some ways, we, some people could say like, oh, we weren't aiming big enough, but I completely disagree with that. So even though um, we aren't making growth our biggest focus, that is allowing us to grow a lot more in the future. And Facebook is a great example too, right? They highly limited growth at the beginning um, and now in the world. So <laughs> it's not a terrible approach. Um, so yeah, that just that going through that process was painful, but we needed to do that to figure out what works better now. So in the CNN article, you mentioned that you're quote-unquote obsessed with, with Mark Zuckerberg. Um, why? Why Mark Zuckerberg? And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of obvious reasons for that, but you know, why are you taking his approach in order to grow your business? Um, so I have to clarify a bit. I actually said I'm obsessed with social media. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> obsessed with like, and less so like actual social media, but like the impact it has on our lives. Right. And um, the question was, who would you love to pitch to if you could pitch to anyone? And I said Mark. And yeah, so I am obsessed with what he's built, and 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 he he is a person. I love that he did a lot of things that were very like people would always criticize. Like I can't believe, or like when Newsfeed first came out, which is like the most pivotal part now in in like the, that product, um, people were, it went crazy, right? So obviously not everything he did worked or some of the things he even apologized for doing, um, but that's really inspiring. And I'm not sure if it's a female specific thing, but I definitely have this issue of wanting to do the right thing, but the answer is like, there is no right thing. So his quote of saying, you, you have to move fast and break things is also something that's inspiring. Mm. Now, taking, taking that inspirational approach, uh, I guess flipping it in a way, has there been a single failure that you can uh, speak to and how did you overcome that failure in particular? So I truly believe failure just means you figure out what doesn't work, which isn't a failure. And the only thing, like one thing, you do a lot of things that in hindsight seem really stupid. So one thing that I did that seemed brilliant then but was just stupid was when we're incorporating, I did all this research online, 
this like bootstrapping, trying to be like really lean. Um, and then thought I was really smart by incorporating as an S Corp Delaware company, um, just to finally talk to someone who actually knew <laughs> what, how these things work, um, to realize that was a terrible idea. So we had to then pay a lot of money to get the S Corp and to dissolve it. And then I, even though that money that year we didn't make any money, um, we had to pay extra taxes, extra money to do our file taxes because you still have to like file stuff and then incorporate it as a New York based LLC. So that's, I mean, I learned a lesson, but it was definitely not the right thing to do. Very interesting. And so I, I feel as if we have a really good foundation of who you are as a business professional, but I want to know more about who you are in in the brain areas. <laughs> so what are some of the habits that have helped you become more efficient throughout your day? Yes. The thing I swear to, uh, about the most is um, journaling, and it's my cornerstone habit because it helps me inform me how I should, um, how I should um, figure, um, sorry, um, how to deal with other parts of my life, right? Because we constantly go through life like reacting, 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 especially now that most of us have smartphones and social media. So while in the past maybe we were walking and reflecting, like at least I am on my phone, I'm very, very guilty of that, right? And it's sometimes you don't even notice when certain feelings creep up or you're doing something just for the sake of doing it, but it's not actually what is getting you to what means most to you. So the journaling allows me, forces me to take a step back, check in with myself, how I'm feeling. And I have very specific questions where I will start out with actually talking about like, how am I feeling? Why? And what are the solutions? What do I want in life? Like, just to constantly check that because too oftentimes we do the things we sh think we should be doing. So that's definitely a huge habit. And based on that, um, um, I have to work out there was probably a two-year period I didn't work out because I was I thought more working more is better, right? I just optimized every second of my life to work more just to realize that it's um, really terrible. So everything I do outside of work has everything to do with work, right? It makes me better at what I'm doing. And I call it the optimum you. So maybe one person needs to work out twice a week in order to be like best functioning. Maybe the other person needs it five times a week. Um, and, and then I also notice what things are maybe very or social norms that I would do, but that would just frustrate me. I, for example, I still feel a bit guilty about it, but I don't go to a lot of any birthday parties. And it's tough because running a community, like there's so many people that end up knowing you, but I just don't have the bandwidth. I, I literally don't. And um, it's just FaceTime. So um, figuring out that even though I feel still feel bad about not going to birthdays, um, that's still a less bad feeling than I have if I go to every single birthday. Yeah, unless you can find a way to duplicate yourself. Yeah. And, and if you find that out, you let me know because I need that too. <laughs> um, so when it comes to uh, journaling, are you writing it down or using an app? How are you doing it? I use Evernote mm. for that. And the most important part is just finding ways for you to do it, right? And um, I, I aim it most days and if I end up 90%, 80% of the time, I count that as success. I try to do it the first thing in the morning, but even if I do it at one, that's perfectly fine. So, and so kind of being really not too focused on the actual structure, but just making sure I have as frequent as possible opportunities to reflect. And I'm curious, you, you took a two year hiatus of going out and, and working out, excuse me, um, and then now you're, you're working, going three to five times a week in order for, for you to work out. Um, what was that light bulb moment 
when you realize that you are just putting in so much time into your business and then you decided, you know, the one day, you know what, I need to do this. I need to focus on myself. I need to have a balance. It was probably journaling. Okay. And yeah, so because you know that something's off, maybe subconsciously or actually consciously, but you can't really point the finger to it. And like life is a lot more easy and a lot more hard than we think it is, a lot more complicated and a lot more simple, where we all have a certain predisposition. Some of it is nurture, some of it is nature, and some of it will change over time, right? Like certain things like stress you out, certain things get you really excited. And just figuring out those patterns. And journaling, like the whole like feeling thing, is where I started understanding myself. Like, wow, I feel amazing when I work out. Or, hey, when I work at home, like what will happen is like, I'll start eating my fiance's like candy. I just can't help. like after two hours of like working at home, I'll eat his candy. And I, if, if I eat a bit of it, I'll get so annoyed at myself. I will eat a lot more, and I'll end the day so angry at myself. And it's so logical. I'm like, so now I don't work from home. Like, but it's in that moment you you're just so upset, or you don't have um, the consciousness to realize these things. So it was definitely journaling that helped me, because I've gotten to a point um, where, I, in some ways, I hit rock bottom, where I was just not happy getting out of bed. I was like working on all the things that again I, sh- I thought I should be doing. I was optimizing a bit for ego. Um, like the whole startup thing that I mentioned where people will judge you on how much you raise or didn't raise, how many employees you have, right? And if so I noticed after a while, like, wow, every time I go to this type of event and I get quizzed on these things and I don't have the right answers and then I try to get the right answers, like it's just not for me, right? And um and then just taking making the hard decision which was the best thing possible and just doing things differently and the things that are most important to me. Well, it's definitely something that we can learn from is just taking more of a simplistic approach to just life because life shouldn't be as complicated as it is. And with all the bad things that are happening in this world and all the stress that is already on, on you know, as a startup, uh, as an owner and a founder, um, you know, I, I, I can definitely respect your approach. Now, is there a uh, – you mentioned journaling and, and, and Evernote, but are there any other apps or are there any forms of technology that you use that you just can't live without? Yes. Um, so I use Pocket a lot where you can save articles in there um, so that I can delay when I'm reading. I love an app called Tabstack, which is um, – some people call it um, Snapchat for grown-ups, but it's a really convenient way to communicate with people that I care about. Because it's hard, like, if I want to be in touch with someone, like, just texting them, like, hey, what's up? What are you doing? It's, yeah, it's, it seems like it's not very efficient or meaningful. And you get to send a picture. And you get to even see where that person is located, how far they are from you. And it doesn't save it. So it's just a really fun way to get glimpses of other people's lives. Mm. Now, the Blind Entrepreneur was created because um, there's a lot of people out there who may not know what they're doing. They are lost, as you said, quote-unquote, rock bottom. Um, they don't know what to do. So what are three pieces of advice that you would give to another millennial who may be in that similar situation? The most important part is your why. It's realizing why you're doing what you're doing. Because every path that you could pick has certain things that are amazing about it, certain things that are going to be shitty. Like, it's just a fact, right? And kind of figuring out why it is that you're going that particular route in terms of, like, your idea, the people you're working with, and um, and then embracing that part because even this because so oftentimes what happens, especially because of social media, we just seem to be seeing it like a highlight reel, is we obsess too much about things that are like negative because it's, we kind of think we blow them up a bit. But 
really trying to, I guess it would be advice number two, embracing like things that other people might perceive as a negative thing. And a huge learning lesson there was our biggest strength is always our biggest weakness, right? So um, kind of figuring out what our strength is and making that the reason we succeed. Um, but also understanding that that will come, like, for example, I'm like super, super creative, but sometimes I need, then I need like, extra much infrastructure to make sure that I execute. Um, or um, sometimes I worry that I'm like too nice, maybe not like a hard, hardcore enough business person. Um, and I know that that actually is a fact and maybe sometimes like I could have negotiated a bit, a bit more here or there. But I also know it's my superpower, right? Like I couldn't have built the community that I built if I wasn't this, that empathetic. I'm curious. You, you mentioned um, you know, that you may have been able to negotiate a little bit better, or you may have been able to do X and Y and Z better. Um, do you feel as if that that could be like a gender, a gender thing, where um, you know, maybe a male, for example, maybe um, underestimating your value because you're a female, um, and then also vice versa the, the other way around. Um, I do think, and there's statistics that show that um, women have a harder time negotiating sometimes. And there was actually this fascinating article that came out um, a few years ago that highlighted the, the women that do be better, at, uh, women that try to negotiate like a man will be perceived as, that will be perceived negatively. So it's not about like, oh, you should be negotiating more. But if you actually did that, that would ding you. It's not that, like, I think it's probably a good gut reaction that we say, like, that we feel that that's not, like, the right way to go. But if um, a woman feels like the way she's negotiating is like in line with her values, then that person actually does better and doesn't, it doesn't get dinged for that. So I think that that's the whole part where a lot in business, it has been dominated by men just historically. And so then as we are adding more women, everyone's working on adding more women, rather than just trying to fit women into like the old molds and do things more like men, it's figuring out how to do it in a way that works for them. And sometimes Woman A versus woman B is different, and same with men. Like not every man is is the same. So rather than um, really checking much more with yourself than what you're supposed to be doing. And you, you know, you've been growing uh, Dreamers Doers for uh, you know for about three years now, and a five year plan. You're already making such amazing progress. You're already getting obviously CNN articles written about you, and been featured in other publications as well. You know, where do you see Dreamers and Doers in the next five, maybe even ten years? Yes, so kind of there are two parts to it because there's Dreamers and Doers and Trailblazer Ventures. So our, our idea is we're about to launch um, quite a bit of outside-facing content. Um, we've been under the radar on purpose. And what the outside-facing content does, it, it allows us to broaden our community. It will be a lot less high-touch, um, but that's our edge. So ev with everything we do, having a community as our secret weapon really um, helps us. So that's part two. And then part three is um, incubating our own companies. Women dominate every single major social media platform except of LinkedIn. And that's obviously a co-ed platform, right? But we think building products, even if they are targeted at, you know, any person in the world, and doing it with the insights that we have on, like, the female um, psychology will make us um, a lot more successful. So in, in five years, um, the hope would be that we've launched at least one or two um, tech products, tech or maybe non-tech products, um, that advanced women, but that not, might not necessarily be focused on women, where if you looked at the product, you wouldn't even think it's female focused, but it's definitely something that does good. And we ideally want to place CEOs in those companies. So we, we're really good at the early stages, given our insights and given our position. And then um, once it's to a stage where we've proven that it works and in those cases raised some 
initial funding than letting them unleashing them to the world. Mm, very interesting. So, my last question, uh, essentially, my last major question, I, I believe so at least, depending upon how you answer. Um, in terms of the statistics of people that actually listen to to me, I'd say it's predominantly male. Um, and it, there's, I'm sure there's a number of reasons as to why that is the case, but to the people that are listening right now, what can men learn from women in the world of business? Wow. One of our superpowers, I find that women have more than men, is that true genuine tr trust that oftentimes comes out. And viewing things less transactional. I'm not saying that all men or men in general do that more than women. Sure, That's absolutely. Like, no generalizations here. Yes, and obviously like there are a lot of men that evoke a lot of trust, but what I see is like really um, sincerely caring about things and um, and communication, actually. That kind of all ties into with each other. But the number one issue a lot of men come to me with is that they have issues um, communicating with other women and with the moment they learn how to communicate better with other women that communication with men actually sometimes gets better too and even if it's just female focus you being able to communicate better with half of this world mm -hmm. is only going to be an advantage both on a professional and personal level and how do you communicate with women so it's fascinating because at, at a very young age men girls and boys communicate differently so boys will always kind of put each other down a bit and girls will always pull each other up a bit by sometimes putting each under under the other person. So you can't overdo encouragement to to women, or I think some people in general. And it's nearly like innate. Like if I believe in someone, I can't help but like like just shower them with like that appreciation. So I think if I don't get that back, sometimes I think like that something is wrong with me, right? Um, and I think that's also been a key part in why Messenger has been so successful that we go and be above and beyond to vocalize support to each other and and like um, perception is reality right so number one success um, tip for success is um, not going easy on encouragements verbal encouragements mm. and, and I think you know, I can just tell by the, your energy that you're an extremely positive individual and I couldn't be more appreciative of your time so thank you so much you. Uh, if if people wanted to partake in your journey if people wanted to follow you, be a part of your community, be a part of the network, how can they do that? A few ways. They can, on our Dreamers and Doers website, um, which you literally can just Google Dreamers and Doers, we're the first to show up. You can request initial information. And um, it's, it's, it's hard because we'll have to see if like, people are a fit, obviously. But there are multiple parts to it. So there's obviously like, the paid membership. And um, so as long as they fill out information there, they'll get access to um, whatever is the best fit then um, social media is great to stay in the loop with us. And um, definitely signing up for our newsletter online because that's going to be the best insight scoop. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Gage, thank you so much for your time. And congratulations on everything. Go celebrate the article. Have a drink. Whatever it is that you do to celebrate, but enjoy yourself. Congratulations again. Until next time, all right? Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. You too.